You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. So today we launch into a new sermon series, and I just I want to go over some things with you very quickly before we get started. This is your sermon outline, so you'll want to pull this out because otherwise you may get a little lost today. Um, I try to make it a straight line to the goal, but uh, sometimes my straight line becomes this when I'm sitting in my office putting these together. And so you'll want this, and you'll want to be open to the middle of it right here. You will see up on this top right-hand side, my right hand, I think it's your left. Yes, it's your left-hand side, um, is slide one. And so you'll want to be there. We're going to get there. I Trust me, we're going to get there. Um, I might not get there right away, and I might not get there fast enough for you, but I'll get there. Um, so every week, this is what you're going to be handed, a trifold. Um, why? Because we're doing a new series called Belief, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into some of this in just a second. But, but what I wanted was something that you could take and you could share with friends and family that maybe you want to share what these beliefs are about what the EC Church believes um, and, and I believe is a biblical beliefs. And so um, please take these along. Fill them out. You will see different blanks. Usually the blanks are underlined in yellow, and that's how you know in your head, i got to fill that in. Um, but I wanted to give you something that's tangible. Um, one of the things that's happening in the evangelical churches, and, and it's been happening for years. I remember going to a, a, a thing, uh, a seminar in 1990. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't 1990. I wasn't even, never mind. It was 95, 96, somewhere around in there. And the guy said, what happens in the evangelical church is there's this black hole. And, they, and he said, the black hole happens somewhere between the pew and the doors of the cars of the people. And that black hole has a vacuum cleaner hooked to it where it sucks all the brain content out of everyone. And, and to prove this, what he did was he went to 15, 20 evangelical churches and, and he got up and he got, he got up enough courage or he got the pastor's permission to go out in the parking lot. And right before they touched the car door, he would ask them this one question. What was your sermon about this morning? 95% of people couldn't tell him what the sermon was about. Now, you have no excuse. <laughs> Wait one second. Salvation. It was about salvation. That's why you're taking it home with you. And I believe that black hole has a name. And you can disagree with this. But the black hole's name is Satan. He doesn't want you to remember this. He wants you to be miserable the rest of your life. He doesn't want you to have peace. So he has this vacuum cleaner set up that just sucks the brain contents out of it. Listen, hey, it happens to me too. We, fill, we send out an email blast every Monday morning, and I have to fill in this, fill in this sheet to send out the email blast so that you have the, the uh, underlying words to, to uh, fill out. I preach this on Sunday morning, and there are times when I'm like, I can't remember what this blank was. So it happens to all of us because his game isn't to just pick on the pastor. And he wants us to all be stuck. So today here at Faith Church, this is going to be some repeat, but we'll get to the other stuff. Today here at Faith Church, we launch what I consider to be a very important sermon series. In fact, you may say, Pastor, you say that about every sermon series. <laughs> this one, I mean it. It's called Belief. The subtitle is from a 1974 essay wrote, wrote by Alexander Shalistine. Um, I just totally butched that. If you want to know the name of it, I'll, I'll send you his name. Entitled, Live Not By Lies, which is the subtitle of our series and also the title of a 2020 book by Rod Dreher. 
This book describes how Christians under communist rule kept the faith alive and remained true under much oppression. Now, I'm not, please, I'm not equating us. The people and their children who survived this tyranny see parts of America, parts of America heading toward the same control. And their concern is many Christians are not prepared to withstand the coming trials. Only total commitment to Christ, total commitment to Christ, and living a life within the truth will allow us to stand firm. That's it. Total commitment to Christ. That living as a life is born out of which we believe um, th that living a life uh, that is committed to Christ is born out of what we believe and how it affects what we do and how we respond to what is happening around us. You may have heard someone talk about salvation before. You may have even heard me talk about it. You should have. But it is, is it a place? Is it a destination? Is it a change of heart? Or what exactly is salvation? Now, in a few weeks, we're going to be discussing this on Wednesday night. This is the primer to that study. Today we will explore what's called Ordo Salutis. That's on that front of that trifold that I just showed you. This is a Latin term, and that Latin term means for order of salvation. It's the steps that are taken in responding to the call for each one of us into salvation. Now, I want, I want to be clear here this morning. Remember that, yes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But we still have to respond to the call. God the Father gave us his son as a Christmas present. Every Christmas, you get a Christmas present around a tree, or I hope you do. And when you do, you have a choice. You don't ever think of this because we don't think we have it going to open it. Now, if you want to stay married to your wife for very long, you're going to open the gift. You're not going to leave it sit there if it says, from your honey, Michelle, I'm not going to just push it under the tree and say, forget it, I'm leaving it there for another year. First of all, the tree ain't going to stay there for another year. Second of all, she's going to be very upset. But here's what the world is doing sometimes. They're pushing a gift under the tree. And some of them are our friends and family. God continually says, I gave you this. And they continually say, take it back. This order of salvation focuses on the acts of God and the response of the individual in salvation. If there's one belief that I think we need to be rock solid on, it's this one, folks. I have heard, yes, even in conversations here. Oh, we all are the same when speaking about other religions and other facets of Christianity. Let me be very clear here. There's no easy way to put it. And I've wrestled with saying this this morning, but I'm going to because I feel like God wants me to. We are not the same folks. We have things that we believe that we hold dear to that they cannot, they don't even touch on in other religions. We are not the same. Not even close. When Jesus stands in John chapter 14 and makes the words... I am the way, the truth, and the life. He blows people's. Some sitting here this morning are going to get the end of this message and say, thanks for the reminder, Pastor, but I knew all of that. Some are going to say, Pastor, in all my years of being in a church, I have never heard this put this way. Some will say, I'm not sure I agree with everything you said, to which I will always say, let's go have coffee and talk I would love to have that conversation. And yet others may be tempted to say or might say, blah, 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 pastor, I still believe it's all the same. Or I don't believe what you're preaching today. To which I want you to know, I won't be upset about that. I won't be. It will break my heart, but it won't break my spirit. Because I believe in this, and I think you all should too. 
But I'm not here to convince anyone that, that, that that's the Holy Spirit's work. So let's dive into our sermon outline. If you'll take that trifold out, which we will be having every week, um, and turn to the inside of this week's sermon outline, and you'll see slide number one, which is this one. Go ahead, fire it up there, Austin. And it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but obtain, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. While the Apostle Paul here is speaking to those who know Christ, listen, your salvation is very important because of what verse 10 says. Here's what verse 10 says of 1 Thessalonians 5. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. For some, that's as far as salvation goes. And while it's okay, there's more to this than just fire insurance, friends. This has been my preaching from day one, July 1st, 2014 here at Faith Church. Actually, from day one, May 1999, when I entered the ministry till now. Salvation is not just, I got out of hell card. It should be something much, much deeper. In John 3, Jesus is in a different discussion with Nicodemus, in a discussion with Nicodemus, and he says some words that you probably have memorized in 3, 16, and 17. Speaking for the whole world, saved and unsaved alike, he says these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have ever eternal life. For God did not send his son. This is, this is a key part. And this is the part we don't memorize. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's sad. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Did you hear that? What God did when he brought salvation, when he brought the order of salvation, um, and, 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 and he brought this all to order, what he did for us was he said, listen, I didn't come to take a mankind that is struggling and kick them while they were down. No, I didn't come to condemn them. I didn't come to point the finger at them and say, you bunch of losers. No, what I came for was their salvation. I want to see them saved. And what he means by saved is not just I want to see them not go to hell. What he means by saved is I want to see them live a life that is honoring and glorifying to my Father. I want to see them change the world by sharing the good news with that world. So he didn't come to kick us while we were down to remind us how far we have fallen short but that he would save us from what? Well, we're going to find out. Slide two. Us. Here's the fall of humanity. Synopsis of Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. And here's what it says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree of good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid him from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? It's where it all started. Now here's the debate in every household. I say Eve was the problem. Michelle says Adam was the problem. Right? Right? Now, Michelle doesn't really say that. Michelle understands that they're both to blame. Now, you say, well, what did, what did Adam do wrong? We're going to unpack that on Father's Day. Every man is charged with one charge, and I'm, I'm not going to give you my entire fire for Father's Day, but I will tell you this. Every man is charged with one thing. And that is protect your gardens. And if your gardens is Freddie, Serenity, and Michelle, you better protect them with all you got. If your garden is Faith Church, you better protect them with all you got, Pastor Brett. 
And Adam stood by silently within, seems like, feet and watched Eve take that apple or that fruit and eat. So yes, Adam was to blame as well. One charge, and he failed. And so the, the fall of humanity is called human depravity. It's a big word, but it's, what it means is, is that we don't have to teach babies how to sin. You ever notice that? <laughs> you know, we, 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 our, our ch children are through adoption, and we got one when she was, um, I'm going to totally bluff this up because I can't remember how old she was, but she was really young. And I don't have to tell you, that I didn't have to sit down and say to Serenity, now if you really get upset with your brother and you want to sin, just punch your brother. She figured that out on her own. And then we had to break them up, talk to them about loving their siblings and all that good stuff. And, and then, you know, 10 minutes later we have to do it again. <laughs> but it's sin. We all have it. No one born today is born perfect. I wasn't born perfect, neither were you. I'm hoping I'm not busting any balloons this morning. But we all make mistakes. And that leads us to some other scripture passages. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Solomon says, See, this alone I found, that God men made man up upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Ooh. You know what Solomon's saying there? He's saying, God, God, God looked at creation after making man and saying, it is good. It is real good. It is perfect. But then they tried to come up with a solution. Oh, if we eat of this fruit, we'll think like God. We will be gods. And so we will come up with a solution and we'll go on our own way and forget that big guy called God back there. And guess what? We've been doing it ever since. And then Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want, and I, I say this tongue-in-cheek and jokingly, but I, I want you to know that in the Greek, all means all. means no one comes in here saying, I've got this licked. I'm living as Christ wants me to live, and, and I'm, doing, I'm doing it perfectly. Not one of us. And so that leads us to slide number three, I believe it is. And, and here's what, here's what it'll, it'll, it'll bring up. Go ahead, and you can shoot that next slide up there. And so we have this, this issue. We have us on one side and, and God on the other side, and we have this chasm. And it's called human depravity. It's called sin. Because we're not perfect, we can't go be with a holy God. Because remember, even the holy God, when he looks at, looks at his son on the cross, what does he do? It's in Scripture. What does he do? He turns his back on him. Why does he turn his back on him? Because on the cross, Jesus has all of our sins. Your sins today, he's already paid for on that cross. And God looks down on his son and says, I can't look at it. It's filthy. And so therefore, there we are. We're standing on this one side and the holy God is over there. Now, now it's broken. What was once good, what was once perfect is broken and we can't get over there. Because we've fallen short. Because we've devised our own plans, as Solomon put it. Because we've decided that we're going to be the gods, and he's going to listen to what we have to say. And we stand here and we say, how do we get over there? There's this chasm called sin between us and the only holy God. But God provides a solution. Go ahead, fly that next thing in there. God provides, well, this is the issue. The issue the issue is we can't get over there, but then he provides a solution. Go ahead, next. The cross. 
he says, listen, okay, my son's come. This is a new covenant. And instead of the covenant being based like other covenants have been on the people, this covenant is based on the back of my son. So it no longer depended on you. It's dependent on him. God provides the issue or the solution to the issue and then brings salvation to us through some things. And here's the first thing that he brings salvation through, heart change, or or the grace of Jesus Christ. Is that right? Yeah, I guess it is. I thought I had that down here farther. No, I don't. The grace of Jesus Christ. Go ahead, put up the next thing. I think it's Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourselves, that lest anyone should boast. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, guys, in Faith Church and, and, and beyond and, and online and whoever else is listening today. Listen, folks. This, 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 this grace isn't based on your, your action. This grace is simply a gift of God. Do you deserve it? No, no, no. Uh, speaking for myself, I don't. But he gives it freely. And here's how he gives it freely. Go ahead to the next. Austin, please. Heart change. And so when you look at this and you, you look at the first three slides or four slides and you start to figure out what Jesus did for you, the first response in your heart should be heart change. Should be that, okay, wait a second. A holy God saw that I was separated from him, saw that he tried covenants with the, with the nation Israel before and they didn't work out. You know, the whole Noah's Ark story, that isn't a fable, that isn't a false story, that's true. I know it's, it's common today to say that it was a falsehood. It breaks my heart, but it is common. In fact, I've heard of a, I'll just say I've heard of a local pastor just recently saying that. It makes me sick. It's true. God looked at what he created and said, what in the world are you doing? We just read about it in Genesis 6 before I came out here to the youth in the youth class. It actually says that they were doing, they were doing the wrong thing all the time. And so he tells this guy Noah to build this ark and I'm going to wipe him off the face of the earth because that covenant was broken. And then later on in, 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 the, in the Old Testament, another covenant is broken. And then God says, listen, listen, this next covenant is going to be built on me. On my faithfulness, on my grace. And the first response we should have is repentance. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says these words, Repent then and then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The time of refreshing may come from the Lord. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. The Apostle Paul here in 2 Corinthians is saying a clear definition of repentance in 2 Corinthians is, is what he is saying is a change of mind. It's changing from something to someone. Remember, it's a literal turning away from sin to God. This is what, when you look at where we were, that we were far from God, then he brought the cross and he built the cross so that we could get across that chasm and defeat sin when we, when we look at that, our first response should be, hey, I ought to change my mind. I ought to stop trying to be my own God and walk away from that thinking, and I ought to try to rely on my God. And so repentance is not just simply, and this is where we've gone wrong in the church. We've taught our children, we've taught everyone that just say I'm sorry and go on with life. That's not repentance. Repentance. 
Repentance is literally, if sin is over here, and I know some of you have heard this before, but if sin is over here, I'm walking this direction away from it as I'm repenting. But what we've taught is, is that you just say you're sorry and just keep on walking towards it. And therefore, what we have is a bunch of people who think they've repented, but they truthfully have not repented because in Scripture, it's a different story. It's an actual change of mind. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Listen, sorrow, godly sorrow, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads, leaves no regret. What happens when you say you're sorry and you go back and sin again? Regret. Right? How many of you have been stuck in a, in a temptation or something? And, and, and I don't mean to bring up bad times in your life, but, but you were in a situation where you continually went back to that thing that you knew was wrong. You knew it was wrong and you said you were sorry, but you kept on going back to it. What was the number one thing that was in your heart at that moment in time? Regret. The Apostle Paul's not off his rocker. He gets it. Godly sorrow changes my mind so I walk away from what I'm regretful for. Human sorrow in my own heart when I just say I'm sorry and I really don't want to repent from it leads to more regret. J.C. Riley says it this way, true repentance begins with knowledge of sin it goes on to work sorrow for sin. It leads to confession of sin before God. It shows itself before a person by a thorough breaking off from sin. It results in producing a deep hatred for all sin. For all sin. That's true repentance. But that moves on and his work continues in our hearts. And here's what he does next. He, he justifies us. Justification. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. He, Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The verse here is 2 Corinthians 5.21, actually, not 20 on your sermon outline. So you can change that. I'm a fallen person as well, obviously. This Apostle Paul knocks the definition of justification right out of the park in 2 Corinthians 5, um, 21. When he says, He, Christ, took on what he was not so that we might have what he has and not what we deserve. Whoa. So first, he brings us to a heart change. He brings us. He brings us. So this isn't dependent on, the, the, you know, the actions are dependent on you, but, but it's him bringing us to him. And then second, it's, it's him saying to us, listen, you are justified. I'm taking the place of where you should be. And I'm giving you what you should not have. Instead of what you really deserve. It's powerful. If we allow it to go to justification. What happens when we, and, and what I mean by that statement is, is, what happens is when we see salvation as just an ends to a means. And what I mean by that is, is that... If we see it just as we're staying, our, we're keeping ourselves out of a very bad place, then it doesn't really inform us of how we walk day to day. I said a prayer with a pastor in his office one day, and I'm saved. The problem is, is that. There's more to it. 
And again, it's, it's very hard to, to grasp, but it's not about what we do. It's about letting him do things in our lives. Whew. But his work isn't done after justification. He goes on to regeneration. And this is, this is really called new birth. This is where the discussion with Nicodemus and Jesus goes sideways in John chapter 3. And, I, and I'm not going to go into all of it because I'm, I'm kind of under a time crunch. But I want you to know he talks about being born again to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus doesn't understand. What do you mean being born again? What do you mean be born again? And he actually says these words. It's kind of comical because Jesus and Nicodemus are talking. And I want you to remember what Nicodemus is. Nicodemus is a teacher of the law, and he doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. And so Jesus says, unless you're born again, which the law doesn't talk about because the law is all about, you got to follow this and check off this and check off that and check off this. It's all about good works and check off this and check off that. And Nicodemus is like, what do you mean about this born again stuff? And, and Jesus is taking him to the next level and he's saying, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, what do you want me to do? Literally, you want me to crawl up my mother's womb? And Jesus kind of, I can only imagine Jesus kind of smirks a little bit and, and says, no, 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 no. You got to be born again in the water and in, and in truth. Because you see, in the law, it wasn't about spiritual birth. It was only about following the law. Check off. You know, I did my devotions, went to church this morning, went to Sunday school. Did this, did that, did this, did check, 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 check. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And then Jesus says, did you do all those things with an open heart? Or did you kind of come begrudgingly this morning? Did you really listen? kind of check out because you see new birth brings new responsibilities but his work continues and, and the next step is this the witness of the spirit Jesus answered truly truly I say to you unless someone is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God Again, this is still that discussion in John chapter 3 before he gets to the, to the full explanation in John 3, 16, 17, and 18. We don't sometimes understand this, but Nicodemus and him are having this back and forth. And again, it comes back to that discussion. Now, please don't go to the water that is there at the time of birth. This is more of a spiritual definition in this sense. That water to a Jewish person was essential for life and they were surrounded by it. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying about, and if you've ever heard it taught, I, I, I've, I have heard it taught this way. It's, it's incorrect. I'm not going to throw the person under the bus. Um, not, not, not here, I haven't. But, but what, what, what some people say is, is that this birth, this water is, is the water that's there at birth when the, when the person's um, water sack breaks. That's what he's talking about. That's not at all what he's talking about. To the Jewish person, they would look at a bottle of water. They wouldn't have a bottle of water. But they would look at water and they would say, this is the avenue of life everlasting. Because everything they believed in, everything they did to live life had some kind of element of water. And so when Jesus says here, listen, you got to be born of water. He's saying, you got to be born of the life in me. And water is everywhere. In the Jewish backdrop. Also, we know that there's a stream of it flowing straight out of what? Heaven itself. So Jesus is using this imagery and he's saying, listen, it's water. Revelation chapter 22 verse 1 says there's a stream of water flowing out from heaven itself. 
So it's natural that Jesus would use this illustration when he's talking to someone about salvation. We also know the Spirit breathed life into Adam in Genesis 2, verse 7, and into dry bones in Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. The Spirit brings life in Christ, so you may ask, what is the witness of the Spirit? And sometimes we get into this crazy stuff like, are we talking about dancing around and flying from the chandeliers and hanging from the fans and doing all that kind of, no, 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 no. Here's what happens when you, when you truthfully have come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit bears witness to your, to your being adopted, regenerated, by giving, them, by giving you a foretaste of your new creation inheritance, by impressing Scripture's promises of adoption upon your hearts, and especially by testifying along the, with Christians' own testimony that you are a child of God. In other words, you ever go to do something and you know, you know, you know the Father is not going to be happy with you. I'm going to tear into that kid and tell him how he's hurt my feelings. Da, 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 da. And you know, you, you're walking in the house and you know, God, you're not happy with me right now. And the tweaking in your heart is saying, stop, think, stop, think, stop, think. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, in your psycho uh, psychology, they would say, that, no, that's just my conscience. I'll be respectful this morning. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it is the Holy Spirit jumping all over you, telling you, you better sit up and take notice. It's him being a witness to you. Saying, hey, you may not want to respond that way. You might want to delete that email before you hit send. You might want to think about that text before you send it. You might want to talk to me, God, before you go and deal with that situation. It's one of the questions that we're asked as an EC pastor. Where is the Holy Spirit witnessed in your life? And let me tell you something. If you leave that question blank, you aren't getting licensed. Because he better be in your life. Last, his work continues in something called sanctification. Sanctification. The Bible uses the term sanctification in a definitive way, indicating the holy status that we already have through our union with Christ. Now, now here's, what, here's where we go wrong sometimes. We make sanctification about something we're, we're yearning for. Can I tell you that he's given you all the glories and all the riches right now? One of the saddest things to hear from Christians is, is that I can't wait to get to heaven so I can experience all of his goodness. I get it because the old back doesn't want to work like it used to. Putting in a brick patio, I'm feeling it this morning. In fact, one of my buddies asked me, are you going to even be able to move tomorrow to preach? I said, I'll make it work. But can I tell you, every bit of your inheritance and goodness and everything outside of the crowns that you will earn in heaven are available to you right now, right here, today? And because we don't walk the order of salvation, what ends up happening is we sell ourselves short and we walk in a certain attitude or certain presentation that doesn't allow us to experience all the goodness that he gives. Me, me included. We don't see it. Because we get wrapped up in what's going on in our world. We get frustrated. And yet God says throughout his word, listen, once you come to know me, this eternal life, this, this new life, this new birth isn't about a place. It's right here. Now, will we be perfect here? No. You will have the aches and pains. 
darn you even, Adam? But boy, you could have a whole lot more goodness if instead of making it about a place, you made it about your life here today and how he can change your life. Sanctification is not something that we're driving for. It's something that's already been given to us. He has set us apart. He has said when a, when a person looks at you, they should not see a person that just is like every other person. There should be something different. It's the difference between being a thermometer and the thermostat, if you may. A thermometer, when you go in, if you're a thermometer Christian, when you go into a room, you take temperature and you decide how you're going to have the conversation. If the conversation is cold, you are cold because you're a thermometer. You don't, you don't change anything. You just take the temperature of the conversation. So if the conversation's cold, hot, warm, medium, whatever, I'm just going to join the conversation. If that includes a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you know where I'm going, then that's what that includes because it's all part of the conversation. It's what's happening. I'm a thermometer Christian, or are you a thermostat Christian, where you walk into the room and instead of taking the commercial, taking the temperature and following the temperature, you set the temperature. And you say, you can use those kind of words and those kind of things. But as for me, and you don't do it arrogantly, you don't even have to say anything. You're just a thermostat Christian. You walk into the room and say, I'm going to set the temperature. But pastor, you don't realize how, uh, no, I, I do realize how hard that is. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But we don't. There's a whole lot more thermometer Christians than there is thermostat Christians. And sometimes we change. In one day, we could be a thermometer Christian in one situation and a thermostat Christian in another situation. Because I believe that we, I believe that happens because we get off the trail. It's about always coming back to Christ, always coming back to Christ. And so there's some application to these things. And, and here's, here's what the application is. Number one, salvation is a journey. Salvation is a journey. The decision to follow is a one-time decision. It is. It is a one-time decision, kind of. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't want to give the impression that if you're struggling in something that, 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 you're, that you're wrong for struggling in it, but it is a one-time decision. Hey, I want to follow Jesus. But that following, that, that working out of the Spirit, that, that becoming a better believer in Jesus Christ, that becoming a better disciple, that is not a one-time decision. That is an everyday decision. That's called a journey, friends. Maybe you've heard it this way. The, the, the Christian life is not a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon. My father has ran in several marathons. Uh, I don't get his genes. <laughs> but, but he's ran in, you know, as big as the Boston Marathon. Can I tell you what they do not do in the Boston Marathon? As soon as that gun goes off, they do not take off with all their might and run as fast as they can, as fast, as fast, as fast as they can. No, they don't do that. Why? Because they realize that by mile one out of 26, I believe it is, out of mile one, they're going to be dead. They're not going to finish the race. And so goes Christianity. It's not a quick race. It's a long haul. It's a journey. And if you start off like a 50-yard dash, you're going to burn out. Take your time. Enjoy the process. Allow his work of sanctification and justification and regeneration and the witness of the Spirit to do its work in your life. I often joke I was a youth pastor when I was in 99 to 2004-ish. 
I was a youth pastor at a bigger church, and, and, I, and I, I often say to those youths from time to time, I wish, I say to them on Facebook on a private message so nobody else sees it, um, I say to them, I wish I knew now what I knew then. That's not the way it works. Because it's a journey. I had to go through some things in life to learn that, you know what, as a 20-something-year-old, I don't know it all. And now I'm a 45-year-old that knows sometimes I think less than I did when I was 20. Because everything's up for question. It's a journey. Number two application is this. Salvation is God's work. He does it. He draws us to himself. It says in the scripture, because he first loved us. So, so here's the deal. And, and, and I'm going to be light on this. And, and, I, and I, I don't want anybody to walk out of here discouraged. But I, I want you to understand something. There's nothing... There's nothing that you did that caught his attention. He didn't teach a heck of a Sunday school lesson one day and him say, hmm, I think I'll call that person. There's nothing you did that caught his attention. When you came into the world, he said, you're worth it. You're worth it to everyone in this room and to everyone outside this room and to people who the farthest thing from their mind right now is church. For God so loved the what? The world. It's his work. It's not mine. Sometimes I make it mine, especially in my position here at Faith Church. I force the issue, try to twist things. And God this week broke me and said, listen, salvation, what they do with it is, is my work, not yours. Just proclaim my word, would you? Yeah, he's pretty frank with me. Just preach my word. Salvation is, is of utmost importance. Folks, you can ignore just about anything else I speak on. Please don't. <laughs> but if you would, it, it's okay. But I'm here to tell you, I was hired here for spiritual protection and growth. And friends, if there's a deep desire in my own heart, I want you to know, love and grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't want you to know the academic, academic side of this. I don't want you to know and not allow your heart to be changed. I want you to know Jesus personally and intimately. There's my game. People often say to me, what's, what's your end game? What's the agenda, the hidden agenda? There is no hidden agenda. Here it is. I want everybody to know that God loves them, sent his son for them, and they need to respond to that. That's it. Last, a response to salvation is good works done to his glory. I want you to hear this one because I kind of had to throw this in here. Salvation is not dependent upon good works. No, good works are a natural response to the Lord who gave you everything when he owes you nothing. That's what scripture teaches. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 said. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, so that you can't boast. Here's what he's saying. Listen, it's not about your good works. However... If I'm truly saved and if I truly understand how I am owed nothing by the God of the universe and he gave me everything, good works will be a natural response. I want to serve him. I want to grow in him. 
I want to do those things. I love the way Charles Spurgeon puts it this all. And here's what he says. It's not that thy hold on Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not even thy faith in Christ that saves thee. Though that may be the instrument, it is Christ's blood and merit. Period. That's it. He owes us nothing and he gave us everything. So you came in here as one of three persons. One, you already knew it. Great, wonderful. I hope it encouraged you. I hope you continue to grow. I hope you continue to walk the steps of the order of salutis, Latin for order of salvation. Two, you didn't know this. And right now you're wrestling in your head. You're thinking to yourself, what do I do with this information? I can tell you where you start. Number one. Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior without a shadow of a doubt? And if you don't, please come see me after worship. I, I, I have some things to share with you. Number three, you're kind of in that boat that I talked about in the introduction. You kind of believe, but you don't see the difference between us, this belief, and other beliefs okay I often say the church needs to be a place where we can doubt as well as trust now if that doubt goes too far too long then we got issues but if you doubt it please do some scripture reading come and talk to me share what you're thinking I, I don't squash doubts in fact, a lot of times, doubts are what brought, brought on growth. And so I encourage them. But don't stay there too long. And so know that it isn't about us. It's about him. And I pray that wherever you are on that step, and we're all in different places, some of us are just starting with repentance now. Some of us are working... And, and, and have seen the justification and the sanctification and all these other big words other than and seen how God has worked in our lives and it has challenged us. But all of us, all of us, no matter where you are, are being called today. No one in this room is. God has not looked at you. Anybody in this room, I can, I can guarantee you by his scriptures and said, too far gone. Can't come back. Until you take your last breath, you're still in his grasp. And so please, think of that as you go from here this morning after a word of prayer and a closing hymn. Let me pray with you. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this reminder for many of us Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 